The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Support from this podcast comes from our friends over at Wicked Memories. Ladies, do you like candles? Do you not like buying them at ridiculous prices? Guys, are you sick of your apartment and your room smelling like feet all the time and want it to be a little bit more presentable for when your parents or ladies come over? This place has it all. 408 Oliver Street in North Tonawanda. Guys, I went to view their products. It's a combination of two stores, Melting Memories After Dark and Wickedly Handcrafted. And their products, oh my God, they're so good. Um, Their Taste the Rainbow Artisan Soap, I've been using at my house. And some of the candles that they give smell so much like the actual product. Their Honeysuckle one is delicious. So go check them out. They have in-store deals every Saturday that you can only take advantage of there. Mention my name over there as well, and they'll be able to give some more support to this podcast. And who knows, they might even throw you a discount or two. Just mention me. Wink, wink. Check them out. 408 Oliver Street in North Tonawanda, New York. You could also view their website and on their Facebook page has the link to everything you could possibly need. Again, that is Wicked Memories, which is a combination of Melting Memories After Dark and Wickedly Handcrafted, 408 Oliver Street, North Tonawanda. Make your life smell nice. Welcome to episode 21 of Your Average Ordinary. I'm your host, Dan Torres. Hey, everybody. I am back. I did not die after doing the Hot Ones Challenge last week, and I'm so thankful for that. Oh, geez. That was a brutal time, and I'm never doing that again. Thank you to everybody who joined us last week uh, via Twitch. That recording is still up there. If you go to my boy, Texas Dave 101 underscores page, you can see that recording from last week up there still. Um, I want to know your feedback on that. I want to know if you guys want to see more of that in the future, so let me know. Um, I really have a great one for you this week. So after Matt DeMorest... Uh, and I had interviewed a few weeks ago, another member of ETTW named Dylan Kreese reached out to me. And Dylan and I have always been friendly towards each other. We've been acquaintances throughout the years. Um, his brother, Pat, and I were very, very close when I was in high school. And Pat is a huge wrestling influence on me. And um, Pat, in particular, has... One of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Um, But Dylan wanted the chance to come on here and talk about backyard wrestling and talk about Pat and everything like that. And I was so happy he reached out because um, I'm not good at approaching people, quite honestly. And this episode was an absolute blast to do. And he he really got deep on a lot of things, which made me very happy uh, because I feel like Some of the things we talked about in this episode are things that need to be told. So, without further ado, my guest for episode 21 of Your Average Ordinary is ETTW legend Dylan Kreese. 
I am here with ETTW legend, talented musician, and wonderful father and friend, Dylan Kreese. Dylan, it is so great to have you on the show this week, dude. Happy to be on here, man. So how's everything going for you? First of all, all that stuff too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, of course. Um, first of all, congratulations on everything this past year. Um, I saw you are engaged. Uh, you have yeah. a daughter of your own now, and your band is absolutely killing it, dude. Congratulations on the album. It, everything's looking oh, really great you, for you. Awesome. Thank you. How is the baby? Is she doing good? Uh, but yeah, anyways. Uh, she's good, man. She's about 17 months old. So about, that's a, a year and a half, I think. And she's ridiculously smart. It's crazy how... It's insane. Yeah. If she something once and that's it. Kids are insane, man. So <laughs> I never, you know, it's a funny, funny thing. I never wanted to be a father, you know, and my fiance, she um, had told me in the beginning that she couldn't conceive. So it was never, you know, a thought in my mind, you know, we're never going to have kids. I already accepted that. And then one day going to the bathroom and she comes running downstairs and she's like, we have a problem. I was like, oh yeah, what's that problem? And she's like, I'm pregnant. I was like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> okay and then you know we went through the whole the whole discussion on what we're going to do and we just ultimately chose to keep the baby because you know it was our one shot yeah that makes i mean that obviously makes a ton of sense but it's crazy how those things kind of just happen for a reason almost now i'm sure you're mm-hmm. into fatherhood enough to see that but yep. it, it's crazy how that happens like that one in a million chance just becomes one of the most beautiful things in your life yeah dude it's actually amazing it's i never thought it would be the way that it is but i'm glad it happened yeah that's awesome man that's really really great i, I i'm so happy to hear that and from just seeing like my friends and having their daughters and how much growth they've had just in the past few years of doing it. it, It's, it's amazing to just watch from the side and see how much people grow without even realizing it through it. I bet you're the exact same way. I think about it all the time. Actually, it's like one day I was 26 and you know, I was just doing my daily activities and being a band, you know, hanging out with my girlfriend at the time, wasn't fiance yet. Mm-hmm. We had our apartment, we had our animals, you know, and then I had a kid and, you know, you kind of just flipped over to fatherhood, but there's still, you're still able to be a kid because mm-hmm. I mean, no kid wants a, wants a parent that's, too adulty if you get what i mean it's like you get, you get to just sit there and play yeah all day yeah and that and, and that's great happened. for them mm-hmm. and it happened um during right when the pandemic started too so i was i got laid off and i've been able to spend all this time with my daughter that mm. most parents don't get the chance to do because you know my fiance and i once i got laid off she decided to take the role of working 
while I stayed home and watched the kid all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, women are independent too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, dude, that's, uh, that's really amazing. And it probably came right at the perfect time to you. These are the only years that are going to be like this with your daughter, you know, like you're only Mm going to have one time of her being really little. So I think it's important, especially like this past year kind of set everything all into place for you to be able to cherish all of those moments too. So that's a really beautiful thing to have. Yeah. And isn't it funny that we all had girls? (laughs) It's, it's so crazy. I think about that all the time is Jamie has a boy, right? He's the only one out of, yeah. Jamie's the only one that had a boy. And uh, when that announced he was having a girl, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this is too weird. Everyone's having girls right now. Must be the year of the girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had told Randy and Kevin it was probably karma coming back to get them. But they they just, uh, we all have a good laugh about that every once in a while. They wouldn't be any, <laughs> they, they wouldn't be yeah. anywhere without those girls right now. Yeah, my, uh, it's, it's funny because my mom had all boys, all, you know, male male uh, children and uh i told my fiance i was like i'm gonna tell you this right now it's going to be a girl i know you want it to be a boy but it's going to be a girl because my mom had all four boys in hopes of having a girl and i was supposed to be the girl mm. and i told her i was like it's gonna be a girl and she's also going to be born on the leap year and that's exactly what happened the girl and she was born on leap year Oh my God. It's so funny how those things work out. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, Kevin was the first one in his family to break the curse of all boys too. Like uh, he only has brothers. His brother only had boys. There were only boys in that family. And he was the first one with a girl. And then his older brother just had a girl recently too. So he broke the curse forever, I guess. Yeah. My oldest brother has three children, one that's not his and Mm. she is a girl, but a that was before he was in the picture and then two boys. Mm. So I figured I was like, all right, if he had the boys and the middle children aren't having children, I'm going to be the one that's going to have the girl. And that's going to, that's just going to how going to be how it is. Dude, that's <laughs> how the universe treats everything. Everything just aligns like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's wild. It's really wild like that. Yeah. So let's get right into some of the old days with you. So you're, one of the reasons I had you on here is because you're another member of the ETTW roster. We had Matt DeMorest on a few episodes ago and he started kind of getting into the origin of everything, but I know how different people's perspectives are of things and how different the trajectories can be within the same years. So he said something about, how Glenn had met you and Pat in a field or something like that. Uh, Talk me through how you guys got involved with ETDW to start. Yeah. So, you know, you know, Patrick and I are brothers. It it was never a story that that's actually true. We are half brothers through our our mother. And um, way back before we even met Glenn, you know, wrestling was my thing. You know, I grew up watching wrestling, you know, the Undertaker Kane story when Undertaker came back at WrestleMania 20, you know, that was my prime wrestling years. Um, and at that point, we were living in Delaware. Um, I was living in Delaware. My mom was in a custody battle, battle. So Pat and my 
other sibling were living together in New Jersey. And then my oldest brother and I were living in Delaware. But they would come visit us as brothers do. And um, one summer, they were there the whole summer. We just, <laughs> we found cones and just put sticks in the middle of them and wrap, you know, rope around it to make a ring, essentially, just on dirt. And there, we had a couple guys in the uh, in the neighborhood that, that were interested in it. And dude, we would kill each other. <laughs> and you can imagine it was dirt. You've been thrown on the ground. You know, you know how it is. It's yeah. not a pleasant experience, especially when I think I was 10 at that time. That was like 13. And I'm just getting slammed down on the on the ground. And I'm just like, why does this hurt so bad? How does rest, how do wrestlers actually do it? But uh Fast forward a few years, um, I think I was like 12 or so, and Pat was 16, I think. We're about three years apart. Um, Pat was going to high school, and he knew Glenn in high school. Okay. Um, I was in middle school still. Um, technically, I was supposed to be around, um, I was supposed to be going into high school soon, but I stayed back a couple of years due to like moving. Sure. Um, but Pat had met this guy, Glenn. And, um, you know, Pat and I were really close friends. So his friends were my friends. My friends were his friends. And we always did everything to d- together, like bands, whatever it was. Um, Glenn, we didn't meet in a, a random field. Glenn used to throw football games. And he oh, would invite people okay. to come play in these football games. And it's like full teams of people playing football we're all kids um and pat had invited me one day i remember dude I've, i expect to go for a friendly you know late tackle football game i remember glenn just running up to me and stiff arming me as hard as he could to the ground and i told pat I was like, man i don't like this guy i don't think i want to hang out with him anymore <laughs> and as history goes we actually became really good friends. Um, I, I actually stayed at Glenn's house for um, an entire summer. Pat oh, and I wow. both. We just practically just, we lived right down the street from one another, literally a 10 minute walk. And we would just always be at, at his place because he had a trampoline, he had a pool, and he had this insane like room set up where he has all these movies and video games, big screen TV, computer in the corner. It was really cool room. So we always just, we were always there, and and that's pretty much how we met Glenn, and we discovered we all three of us like wrestling, mm. and we would just fool around on the trampoline with one another, and Glenn ended up telling Matt about us, and Matt's requirement for us to join ET, uh, it wasn't ETTW at the point, mm. it was pretty much no name, I believe, um, he said, well, can they do a Canadian Destroyer? And he's like, yeah, I'll send, it, I'll send you a video. And Pat gave me a Canadian Destroyer from one tra- We had two trampolines, one trampoline for the other. And he shot me so far that I just landed in the springs of the trampoline. Oh. <laughs> pretty, I pretty much just crotch-shotted the trampoline as if someone just knocked me off the ropes. Oh, man. Oh. And that's how... We got to know Matt, which also he lived in Bordentown, which was only at the time he lived in this really cool log cabin house um, that was in Bordentown City. So he was only like 20 minutes from us. Oh, dope. 
that's <laughs> that's yeah. the most backyard wrestling thing I've ever heard. The fact that the qualification to get in was, can he do a Canadian destroyer? That was his exact words. And I'll, I'll just, I'll go a little further into the story. We moved, we, we, we met Matt at his place, downpouring. He's like, we're going to wrestle in this rain. I was like, all right. There's this shoddy ladder just set up, like one of the really thin aluminum ladders, painter ladders. <laughs> he had a couple weird things to be thrown through. And the first thing this guy does, the first thing Matt DeMorris does to this 12-year-old kid, Dylan Kreese, oh, is no. punch me as far as hard as he can in my face to see if I was tough enough to wrestle with him. And that was my introduction with Matt DeMorris. <laughs> Everything past that is history. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes. That's, that's hilarious. That's like one of the funniest. You know, Ra- Randy and Kevin, when we started wrestling, they used to run these terrible drills in the backyard with people who knew nothing about what they were yeah. doing. And they used to make us do like my first wrestling experience with them was like a dance drill where they would make us dance to something and then bump in a certain way. And like, so I think we all had to pay our dues in that sense. I don't know oh, why yeah. the egos took over that young, but we, I feel like you're right. I feel like everybody kind of had something to prove right at the beginning of everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the story just goes on from there. It's all love afterwards, you know, I didn't. I slept at his night. I slept at his house that night after being cold cocked in the face by him, and I think thrown off a ladder or something. And you know, we just bonded. And TKO was there as well. You, oh, dope! That was the first time I met. I met TKO. They went to high school together. So, mm-hmm. so what so, do you remember about starting uh, for YouTube and it, like kind of planning out? Oh, we're gonna start taping stuff and actually putting it up. So for a while, we were. Um, we were still filming ourselves, um, even though we weren't uploading. Um, that's where a lot of the early clips come from. Um, it's all just clip videos, clip packages. Um, you know, we started to realize we were pretty decent at what we were doing. And at that time, you know, we strictly wanted to wrestle on trampoline. Uh, we had no desire to be in a ring, be on a base. You know, we were just trying to have fun and beat up each other on the weekends. And um, I remember Matt was making clip packages, and I can't remember what he was sending it through. It was one of those old, you know, <laughs> one of those old Google Drive type things that you yeah. send videos to people through. Yep. And I think it was him and Pat. You know, maybe we should maybe we should make a YouTube account for this. You know, maybe people would be interested in watching what, what we're doing if, you know, it's entertaining enough. And for a while, the first couple of videos were all just clip packages of us wrestling and learning how to do, you know, double moonsaults, 630s, learning how to do the backflips on ground. You know, we started to make our way into that that um, realm of wrestling on the ground. You know, we had futon mattresses at first, you know, the big ordeal. Yeah. But the only thing I remember mostly about that whole situation was coming up with the name. <laughs> um, it was originally ETW, Extreme Tram- Trampoline Wrestling. But we discovered there was another fed out there called ETW. Of course. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm just looking at a keyboard on my desktop computer that nobody probably has anymore besides for gaming. <laughs> and um, I'm just looking for, I'm just looking at the letters trying to come up with, you know, an acronym for it. I was like, screw it. Why don't we just put another T in it to them? And I, I sent it to Matt. I was like, I flipped open my flip phone. I was like, what do you think about ETTW? Extreme uh, Technical Trampoline Wrestling. He was like, I love it. We're going to do it. And pretty much my co- contribution from besides wrestling was the song choices. I would always send him songs or, you know, we would go back and forth and like, you know, it'd be really cool if you used this song. Because, you know, I was mostly the musician at that point. But as time went on, Matt, you just picked the songs themselves. <laughs> but it makes sense that you were the inspiration for all of that, too, because it's very it, it's all stuff that I could definitely see any like hardcore wrestling fan liking and being into. Because I feel yeah. like I feel like there's a, a commonality among all of us where if you were it you so it's funny because you started really watching wrestling kind of in the same era I did. So yeah. I was right after WrestleMania 20. I started right in the right at that SummerSlam when Undertaker was feuding with JBL. So like I yeah. got into it kind mm-hmm. of the same way. But there was this camaraderie around all of us where right around that time the video games like for SmackDown versus Raw started coming. Oh out. yeah. And that soundtrack started becoming the the whole soundtrack of our lives. Just all these hype up songs to get us going. And exactly. Um, what was the game? Uh, it was on Gay- GameCube. It was uh, Dave the Destin, I think it was called. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was probably on PS2 as well. At that time, a lot of a lot of those games just shared the, the systems. It wasn't exclusive games. Yep. Yep. Um, but a lot of a lot of my growing up um, with those video games, that was all the music I used to listen to. And mm-hmm. before, you know, none of us. Let's be real. None of us bought CDs at that time. LimeWire was the thing. <laughs> LimeWire was king. So we were we were only downloading what we were hearing from these video games or what what was on MTV or something like that or Raw or SmackDown. What they were using for theme songs. And, you know, that's what shaped my shaped my uh, music taste. Yeah. What you just said that right there nailed down such a huge part of my music genres is, yep, yep. WWE themes, um, just typing like Breaking Benjamin in and seeing mm-hmm. what songs come up and just downloading all of them, all that stuff. Like Three Days yep. Grace, all those bands were so wrestling inspired because of the soundtracks they used for everything. Yeah, I was sitting uh, today. I was just sitting there uh, noodling on my guitar, and I started playing "Never Too Late" by Three Days Grace. I was like, "Wait, I know that song." I was like, "Oh man, that's bringing me back right now." <laughs> I know it's crazy how that works. So then you guys start gaining this crazy traction on YouTube too, and start becoming this whole uh, thing with GBYWN, and really making a name for yourselves when YouTube was first starting to just lay ground on the internet. um, Talk me through kind of being a part of that and it shaping up to be this thing way more than you guys expected it to be. Honestly, it's surreal. Um, We never expected any more than a couple hundred views. You know, 
we were just really doing it to just um, have fun and hang out on the weekends, learn new things, new wrestling moves, holds, anything we could do. You know, we spent a lot of those summers and uh, a lot of those years in general because we we wrestled all seasons as as you guys did. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent every single weekend together, sometimes all three days, you know. But um, I think it happened overseas first, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of our uh, demographic was coming from France, mm. <laughs> which was weirdly enough because we were like, Fran- France. Um, and uh, from there on, just kids started fa- you know, finding us because the whole backyard wrestling, trampoline wrestling thing was starting to pop off around those years and at that point you know we started to say maybe we should run shows maybe we uh, shows between friend our friend group right now because sure. we weren't we weren't extending out just yet um this was all before we met danny um so we were just doing our own thing you know thinking we're doing the right thing but not really knowing what we were doing. We were just emulating what we saw in video games or what we saw last week on SmackDown or Raw. Yeah. And that uh, PWG, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, that, mm-hmm. that's it, right? Yeah. Um, we started to really dive into the indie scene, Pro Wrestling Gorilla and stuff. Um, Ring of Honor. I, I'm sure any educated wrestling fan would recognize 50% of our moves being from the indie scene. Um, and, you know, that's when we discovered Daniel Bryan, or his name was Brian Danielson or something like that, right? Yeah, American um, Dragon. Yeah, so Samoa Joe, CM Punk before he was in, D, uh, in WWE. Mm-hmm. You know, we would buy the magazines, everything. And we would just read all these all these articles and just watch the um, look at the pictures because YouTube was still young at the time so you couldn't really find a lot of clip, clip packages of indie wrestling and if you did you were lucky because at that point people were just using the, the big handheld cameras to take videos of that shit mm-hmm. um, but honestly just that time period was surreal because we were getting so much traction that we decided maybe we we should really consider hosting shows pay-per-view-esque things you know it was something we were already kind of doing but we weren't doing it seriously sure coming up with the storyline everything you know we, we hadn't done that just yet we were just wrestling and picking what looked best on camera and putting it in a clip package but yeah i think it's interesting that you guys had such a love for the indies too and watching the indie scene wherever you could because I feel like paying attention to the detail like you guys did made everything so much more fluid because you're not just watching WWE storylines or WWE's moves. You're watching storylines from every Fed and you're mm-hmm. and you're getting a real world view of how broad wrestling is because it's such a huge thing. That's how I know Kevin, Randy were kind of the same way because, um, and Andrew and all the people who were in our fed, because 
right around the time we started high school is when um, ESW, which was MFW back then, mm-hmm. uh, started uh, hosting like Colin Delaney and things like that, who was from Rochester. And then Delaney ended up doing that stint on, e- on ECW. Yeah. With like Tommy Dreamer and everything like that. Yeah. So they're seeing these guys that are from the area succeeding and they're like, oh, so this is actually a thing that people can do. Like, yeah. we got to learn about this now, like more and more, too. It's it's so it's interesting hearing this now because now it makes more and more sense why you guys got so popular because you actually cared about what you did and really looked into everything through like a magnifying glass. Yeah. And as for me, man, I'm, I live my life as wanting to be the best at everything, which I know I'm not, but I want to be the best at what I do. And that connects with my job, playing music at the time wrestling. And, um, we just wanted to be the best backyard wrestling federation we could possibly be. And that's why we studied into all the indies, all the indie work and still watch WWE and bought DVDs from like old ECW era. You know, I used to have a huge stack of, you know, just wrestling DVDs. Just me and Pat would watch all the time because we just wanted to be the best at what we did. And I think, you know, you know, as you said, paying attention to all that detail was the reason we were able to elevate what we were and keep people entertained essentially sure that makes a ton of sense um speaking of being the best at what you do i want to ask you about it's it's great that you're on here because i wanted to talk to matt about this when he was on but i didn't get the chance to but you're the other half of this equation so this works out perfectly you were involved in my favorite ettw match of all time which is you and matt working that TLC match for the belt <laughs> yeah. uh, for uh, oh, which pay-per-view was it? I'm trying to, it's um, me right now. It's not pain for pride. Is it? It might be pain for pride. I, that sounds about right. It was either pain for pride or Dave the destiny. Yeah. I think it was pain for pride. That sounds about right. But yeah. um, that, that show was a great show overall. That's what makes, that's part of what makes your match with, Matt, my favorite that you guys did in ETTW, but the way you guys culminated it with the two of you, just, I remember watching that with Randy and thinking like, holy shit, they're being brutal to each other. Like you guys went all out for that. So talk me through that match, the planning of it, the actual setups, what hurt and what didn't everything like that. So, um, you know, what, not much was really planned. Uh, we just went off of feel. Like like Matt said in, in your previous podcast, there were a few spots that were planned, like the chair set up, thrown off the ladder, the starting from the top of the ladders and jumping into each other, lock-up type deal, the SSP onto the makeshift table. I, I don't even think it was a full table. It was something fake or something like that. <laughs> um uh, even the Pat part where he comes out, wait, that's my brother. That wasn't planned. That was on the spot. He just randomly did that. Uh, I guess maybe Matt, Matt and him talked about that beforehand. 
Um, Damn. And there was a bit of there was a bit of animosity between uh, Pat and I at the time because I, you know, him being my brother and hightailing it up to Buffalo, I was, you know, my best friend had just left me for for a girl and to wrestle with another group, so I was a little heartbroken. So, you know, uh, any anything you see me and Pat wrestling at after he came back from Buffalo. There's a bit of realism to it. Uh, um, but yeah, dude, um, not much was planned there. We we all we just went on the fly for things. Um, I just trust Matt as a wrestler, and we were just calling spots as we were going. Um, I told him at one point, you know, I'm going to do a indie kick, throw the chair into my leg, and I'll sell my leg the entire the rest of the match. And just to, just to you know add some excitement to it mm-hmm. besides the fact we're wrestling in a TLC match. That's exciting enough. Um, I remember one part in that match. I was on top of the uh, top of the ladder and I was, I did a uh, back and a half on the mat. I think it was, mm-hmm. that was actually planned to be a double moonsault, but I chickened out. Ooh. You know, the way the angle of the ladder was compared to the trampoline it was just like, mm, I don't know if I can jump far back, far enough back and complete the double rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the only spot we paused in. And, you know, I think I sat there for like 20 minutes <laughs> trying to talk myself into doing it. And I just couldn't convince myself it was a good enough reason to do it. So I, I was like, listen. I was like, listen, Matt, I'm going to do a back and a half. Let's, let's just go from there. Um, but, you know, Matt, Matt DeMorris is one of the safest wrestlers I've ever wrestled. Mm-hmm. And growing up with him was just a pleasure. So when I got the chance to wrestle him in the matches that I got to wrestle him, you know, we just let our creativity run wild, you know. We would plan these six spots and then just go on the fly. And that's usually how most ETTW matches went. Besides, if you're Jamie, Jamie Anderson, he, man, that guy can write you a whole story, whole freaking story of a match. And all you have to do is read it, memorize it, and there's your whole match. But, um, you know, we wrestled each other for so long at that point that it was just easy to come up with matches. We just wanted to make sure there's entertainment and entertaining aspects to the match. So it's like, oh, so people, when people are watching, they're like, oh, it's just another Matt and Dylan match, or it's just this match. We wanted to keep everybody on their edge of the seats. So we were real, we were willing to kill ourselves just for that. I, I see a pattern with that amongst ETTW and UYW people where it seemed like... Yeah. They just wanted to go for for broke whenever they could, especially if it's someone like Matt, who you really like and respect. There was yeah. a period of time right around that time we came down to New Jersey where Kevin and I were the only ones that were really consistently like in the ring every day. So mm-hmm. the chemistry we ended up building through that time was like the best it's ever been. We would just work each other and like we knew what was good and what wasn't and like, we, we did this match for our Fed where we weighed like 
we made like a base in the woods somewhere like by the <laughs> yeah. house just for training. But we did uh, we did a match for that. And that, it's one of my favorites of all time, just because we knew each other the best at that point. So we yeah. were it, it just felt everything just felt so fluid. And I, I'm disappointed I didn't get to work Matt for those reasons, because he just always seemed like he could make that chemistry work with anybody and just be mm-hmm. and just make anybody look good well that's that's the job of you know your fellow wrestler you know you're just it's not the person that's making the move it's the person taking the move damn right and if the person taking the move can't make it look convincing then they're not the right person to be the one taking the move yeah yeah and that's it's just how it is it's one of those deals we uh the the last UIW match we we ever did the last UIW specific one uh it was Kevin and Andrew doing a match and at one point there was a Canadian spot and Andrew was the one taking it and he didn't do they had to do the spot like three times to record it because the first time it just they didn't get enough air, and then the second time Andrew just kind of flopped on Kevin was Kevin was trying to do it, <laughs> and you could see, and you could see Kevin just wind knocked out of him, flopping like a fish on the ground, and Andrew just standing there like, uh, whoops, uh, didn't yeah. that. <laughs> well, we've we've been down that road, uh, all of us. Uh, I can name a. <laughs> I can name a handful, handful of things uh, that that where we've had to stop. Pat and I have gotten the full blown fist fights over <laughs> someone hitting each other a little too hard. You know, it it, it happens. And um, once you figure out how to not make it happen, everything runs smoothly. <laughs> um, is there a is there a bump in particular that you look back on and you're like, oh, this was the worst bump I ever took. Like this was really bad. Worst bumps. Um, it's a couple. Uh, I'll just name two. As you know, as most people know, I didn't, I didn't venture off and wrestle at a lot of super shows or wrestle other people. And mm-hmm. that was more of a trust thing because I wrestled two super shows and got hurt at both of them. So after that happened, I was like, mm, it's not my thing, Matt. Uh, I was wrestling in, at J, uh, JWA. Is that was the Jersey Wrestling All-Stars? Yeah, yep. JWA. Two times I wrestled there. Um, the first time I wrestled there, I wrestled a guy named Ness. Um, I, I believe he's still, still uh, doing things in the indie scene. It's like the king of pile drivers or something like that. Oh, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, he gave me a bulldog off a roof and pushed my head down, and I landed on my neck. And I was stiff for the entire duration of that match. Oh. Um, and I, I was in immense amount of pain. I finished the match. I, I finished the match with a six thirty. <laughs> off of the ladder jesus christ um that is quite possibly the worst bump i've ever taken taken um as for the second one another super show it was a six-man ladder match and i was ettw champion at the point so i was like my ego was going crazy right now i'm like yeah i'm the coolest guy here blah 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 
Well, Patrick, Patrick Poison was in that match as well. He gave me a sick kick, but he shot too low. Oh, so instead no. of hitting me in my shoulder, he hit me directly right in the stomach. And if you can find that video online, if you watch it, I do a backflip. That was all him kicking me. I didn't purposely backflip. He kicked me so hard that I flipped. I was out of that match 15 minutes because I couldn't breathe. Jesus Christ. And I, I came in for my, la- my last couple spots, and that was it. <laughs> Damn. It sucked, dude. That, oh, that's terrible. Thing. Especially the way Pat kicked. Because he he could fucking get that rotation just right on that. Mm-hmm. And if he hate you, there's so much impact that yep. comes with that. Yep. So both times were in a super I, I show. Sorry, both times were in a super yeah, show. I don't think. Yeah, both times. And I don't think necessarily it was, the base was makeshift. It sunk down when he probably went to go jump and kick. It is what it is. But, you know, I sh- well, you know, now that I'm older, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, judged my super shows and branched out a little more like Matt did because he had a lot of awesome matches with a lot of awesome people. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's one of the king- things that makes him like so. the the king of backyard wrestling in that sense is he he would work anybody yep. at any time and it would just always look so clean. He was that's one of the things I said about him. He's such a clean wrestler with everything he does. Wrestler. Yep. That's right. So both times it was a super show. And times, yeah. the first time it's someone you don't know. And then the second time it's someone you're supposed to know better than anybody. And he mm-hmm. fucking kicks you in the stomach. Kicked me really hard in the stomach. I I remember not being able to breathe 15 minutes. So oh my <laughs> it God. was really hard. Ooh. That Jamie, is so Jamie. Brutal. Yeah, Jamie Anderson was there. He had to just, he was like, right next to me the entire time just feeding me water because like couldn't breathe. Oh my God. <laughs> Oof. Both of those are terrible. And here I was expecting some kind it was of bad. So here I'm expecting some kind of like chair bump or something like that. Nope. It's too it's no, simple stuff. That are, yeah. Yeah. Simple in, in thought just, but in practice just not so much. You know, the bulldog wasn't necessarily his fault or my fault. You know, we were both going down at different angles. So when he, if he was probably going a little lower than I, so naturally my head is going to go straight down. Yeah. That's just how physics works. (laughs) Ooh, that's bad. So everybody has a Danny Danger story. What's your, um, give, give me some of your background with Danny Danger and then maybe one of your favorite stories about him too, or something that sticks out about him to you. Yeah. So Danny and I, if I remember correctly, we didn't like each other in the beginning because he was more of the, the classic wrestler and I was the frilly high flyer. He wasn't kind of into that thing. You know, some things I did didn't make sense to him. So we didn't hit it off immediately. Uh, but anytime I met Danny in the beginning, he was always in character. So I, didn't know Danny Danger from Danny Rowe, you know? <laughs> and um, we went to a, a, um, a show he was wrestling at in Heightstown, New Jersey. The dude just never left character. Never.
and uh, I saw I saw him on the table, and he was just sh- shooting on us the entire time. Like the whole ETTW crowd, the, the whole ETTW guys were there. TKO, Pat, Jamie. I think Matt wrestled Dan that night. Um, it was just ripping us, man. And come to find out months later when he started, when he joins ETTW for the YouTube manager position, that was all a character. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I thought this was just who you were. I thought, I was like, I thought you were an asshole the entire time. It's so like, funny how he did that. Half the time. I was like, I was like, that's brilliant. You just, you, that's how you know how. That's how you know he knew how to do his job. You know, he made people not like him, just to just to push his character. But it was one of the ETTW matches, or uh, one of the ETTW days, and I think it was like ETTW Home Improvement. It's like a entire. And the whole thing is like a just Danny, uh, Danny being the YouTube manager, telling everybody what they need to do to be better. I remember. And I that. was sitting on top of the ladder. For, I was sitting on top of the ladder for whatever reason. He's walking up to me for the uh, for the promo. He just steps in dog shit. It's like, did, did I just step in dog shit? I was like, it looks like it. He's like, oh. I think it's in the video too. I think it is. He, the whole clip is there, and that—that's one of my most memorable moments with him. It was so funny. I, I broke character so many times. Like, it was bad. <laughs> I'm up there like snickering, just trying to turn my face the entire time, because he's just freaking out about stepping in dog shit. And I was like, this is hilarious. Oh my god, he was. That's one thing I love about Danny is he was always so committed to any character he was in like you said like he's always had that commitment to it but the Mm -hmm. youtube general manager was one of my favorite things he ever did and any episode of ettw he was on i found myself watching because he was cracking me up the entire time that he's on screen yeah stupid shtick he did and let me say you know not for nothing he had a reason to act like the best because danny was the best Yes. And any match I've ever wrestled with him, those are some of my best matches. I, I, I wrestled him at a super show as well. I think it was like we had it at our place. And that was that's one of my best matches. He made me look so good. It was like, man, I could actually be on TV because at that point we all went, you know, we all wanted to be WWE wrestlers. Yeah. But, you know, the only people that were taking the step forward to do were Matt, Danny and Pat. And mm-hmm. Kevin, of course. Yeah. And Alex so Zane like, now, who's kind of big on the scene, too, that yep. you've seen. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, it's they, funny. It's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's like we watch WWE now, and um, I'll just see so many ETD, ETTW spots. I'm like, man, are they watching our videos and doing what we do? And because I saw uh, NXT a uh, couple months back, um, Matt and I never did this in a, on a base or on a ring, but we did it in a trampoline. I did a backflip. He shoved me, and I moonsaulted somebody. And I saw two two wrestlers do that a couple months ago. I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> I was like, no way right now. And then <laughs> someone does the downfall in WWE. I'm like, 
Really? I know. I was like, I, t- I told Matt, I was like, man, they just should hire us to be on their creative team. <laughs> they really should have. Like we, we were innovating so many spots at, at that point. Even, I don't know if you saw uh, a, a couple months ago, it was, I think Sammy Guevara called out this guy for saying that like he was like oh sammy guevara took my move or something like that and guevara was like no you took that from matt demoris that's what you did and like yeah yeah i did it, see that it was a it was a huge thing and it made me it made me sit back and go holy shit all the wrestling kids from our era were watching anything on youtube yeah. that they could find yeah and most of the wrestlers who are in wwe now were backyard wrestlers so it made sense, you know, it's, I'm not salty. I'm, I think it's actually really cool that people are pulling spots from ETTW videos. I mean, I don't think it's that cool that they're stealing a move and claiming it's theirs, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> and they're tributing our stuff. They're they're using it the way, you know, any wrestler would want their stuff, like, taken along because they put the work into that to get it there. So. Yeah. You can only respect it, and I, I, I think it's cool to exactly. be a part of something like that. I really do. Yeah, um, to see something that I did 10 years ago on TV, that, that was insane. I was like, that's pretty cool to see someone actually do it in a ring. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is really cool. Um, Yeah, but Danny is definitely, we've, we've talked about in the past how anybody who is trained by him and then trained somebody else as a Danny Danger product, so there are like probably about 200 Danny danger products just running around out there because he just, he cared enough to do that for so many people. And it's, it's really astounding. He's such a good person. He really is. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, he he was the best for a reason. And, you know, I'm ever so, ever so grateful that he was part of my life and, a part of training the wrestler that I became to be, you know, if I got into a ring right now, I'd be rusty as hell, but you know, it all shakes off after a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like riding a bike. You just got to get back exactly. on it and do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking on his YouTube general manager gimmick, one of my other favorite matches of yours that uh, you got to do was for one of those episodes where Danny came in and kind of did like improvements on the scene. You got to wrestle Mike Davis for an ETTW episode, mm-hmm. which is, which is one of my favorites. Can you talk about some of the good qualities of working with Mike? Yep. Second time I wrestled him Left as well. So we were all, all those guys that were there were all Danny products. And, um, it was just, it's easy to wrestle someone who was trained the same way that you were trained. Sure. And me and me and Mike, we wanted to make sure that we topped our first match. And our first match was the night, the UYW versus the TTW. The first one where Matt wrestled Forsaken for the first time. That was the first time that character ever came out to play. Um, and I wrestled Mike that night and it was a whole trampoline match so when they came that day and Mike was like you want to wrestle again now that we're on base I was like hell yeah and he did a lot of the planning to be honest with you um, because at that point my wrestling 
career I was I tuned with what my move could counteract that because he played the heel that match. I played the good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, all I remember is that dude was like, listen, I want to give you a tiger suplex onto a chair. And I think that's, I remember the match, but after I took that, I don't remember the rest of the match. <laughs> I remember it from watching it on uh, on YouTube, but I was lucky half the time when I took bumps. When I took the bump onto that chair, I'm surprised I didn't have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Um, but he planned a lot of that match. He was like, you see that rope swing? I want you to swing on it and give me a hurricane. I was like, that's genius. Of course I'm going to do that. And I think that match was the first match that I um, did a SSP off the base. It was one of my cleanest ones I've ever done. Mm. with my with mike and that guy's just he was a genuinely good guy um he was what danny is out of character all the time that's how mike is yeah and he was just a lovable guy um i was blessed enough to have two great matches with him um both where i was first match i was really young still learning honing my craft and then one where I was a hell of a lot better because I was being trained at the time and I was wrestling every single week in great shape. Um, but yeah, he, he built, he built that match and I, I was just there to play in it. That's awesome. Mike was a really, really great wrestler and a great human being. And man, we miss him. It's been what, like four or five years now since he passed. About and that. Uh, yeah, just another one gone way too soon, man. It, it was, it was very sad to learn about that, but I'm so glad that he was able to interact with so many of us and leave that imprint while he was here mm-hmm. with all of us. Yeah, he was, um, he definitely left an impact on anybody he was in the room with. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I do want to get to talking about, um, Pat a little bit and his career and his story. Um, So a little background on this. So Pat, who Dylan has been mentioning is his brother is also a good friend of mine uh, from high school and uh, through backyard wrestling and everything. And Pat has one of the craziest stories in all of pro wrestling uh, in my opinion. And I I find myself a little bit not hesitant in any sense to talk, but it, bringing myself back there always, I feel like, takes a lot because it was such a, like, a heavily involved situation. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. do you want to first give us a little bit of a background about Pat? You talked about how close you are growing up and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit about him. So, Patrick, as most of you know, Patrick Poison, um, he uh, he really got into wrestling around the time uh, when he moved back in with me and my family because I was already really in re- into wrestling at the point. And, you know, we always imagine being 
the Hardy Boy Brothers together. You know, those were our guys when we were growing up. Um, you know, Pat excelled at pretty much anything you threw at him. Um, when Danny came along, Danny also helped him. And then Pat had this, you know, bright idea that he was going to move to Buffalo and be a wrestler. Uh, because you guys, as you mentioned, ESW was a thing up there. And, you know, we didn't know that Chikara was right down the street from us pretty much <laughs> at the time. So um, Pat Hightailed up to Buffalo with nothing in his pocket, not a single dime, lived with friends and uh, got a couple jobs up there, made his way through and he wrestled his way to eat. He did his dues building the ring with everybody all the time. And finally they offered him to wrestle and he just, uh, he took that shit ran with him. When he came back to ETTW, it was just a different person wrestling wise. He just was so knowledgeable about everything. He remembered every move, every hold, and he ended up teaching us a, a, a bit about, a bit about everything that he learned up there. Um, but in the early years, you know, Pat was just this scrawny kid that was 120 pounds <laughs> that wanted to be a wrestler. And he was going to do anything to make that possible. And if the unfortunate events that did happen didn't happen, he'd probably be on TV right now. Yes. Yes. I I look at... um. Every time I happen to have a WWE on and I see Ricochet, I look at him mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's Pat. I, that's I, one of the guys. That's one of the indie wrestlers we both followed. Ricochet, Pac. Um, I almost called him the Chad. I don't think his name's Chad. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. Who uh, <laughs> he, he was the one that did the 630 a lot. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of the break dancing moves. I... I I'd, I'd know what he looked like. I just can't remember his name. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he was, you're right. Pat had this knack at just excelling at any, he was in the ring. He was a fucking animal. He was so good. Like the stuff he picked up in the first couple mm-hmm. of months of him being there and being around Kevin's full time. It, yeah. It's, he was good before, but then he just, he, he took Excel. off. Yeah. Better than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah, like I said, if you know, he would be on TV right now mm-hmm. if things didn't go the way that they did. Yeah. Um, you know, Pat, uh, he was born with a hole in his heart and one kidney. So his body wasn't up to snuff for all that jazz. Uh, but he was going to do it no matter the situation. That's just what he loved to do. I didn't even know that about him. That is fucking crazy. He he just yeah. I learned more and more every day about him that I'm like, what the fuck, Pat? Yeah, no, Pat. Pat's a miracle child, dude. Um, he wasn't supposed to live at all. He was born prematurely by a lot of months. Um, born with a hole in his heart, one kidney. They had to do surgery on an infant. So that scar that you know on his ribs. That he has that's from when he was an infant they had to cut him open and fix something um 
Pat also was a master cellist. He was also a musician. Yeah, he played cello for nine years. Fuck. There's a How lot of things that he just never like that. There's so much that he like, even as his friend, I'm like, you did this? What the yeah. fuck, dude? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he he would do anything for you as well. Um yeah. it didn't matter if you were blood or not. If you were his friend, he would go to the end of the world for you. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think those are the 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 surprising things about him that people don't really know. Um but as we move forward, um, you know, most people know he broke his back. Yes. Shattered his spine from the middle vertebrae down, which ended up paralyzing him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um around that time I wasn't wrestling much. I was more so pursuing music and getting fat off Taco Bell. Um and I would I mean I was distancing myself from wrestling from the beginning since you know Pat left because you know that was our thing and when I wrestled I didn't have Jamie, Matt, MRE or any of those guys there. It was just like and kind of brought up painful memories because Pat wasn't there to wrestle with us. But sure. he was, you know ex- seeding in life up in Buffalo. Um, and then I was recording with my band at the time. I think it was called IHOP. And um, my mom called me and said, Pat said he broke his back and can't feel his legs. I'm like, at that time, I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And I was like, well, just tell him to stand up. I said that to my mom. <laughs> and not knowing the severity of the situation, learning that he ended up shattering his spine and was paralyzed and that was a tough tough pill to swallow i didn't wrestle for a long time after that um like i'd show up here and there but i wasn't really wrestling because it scared me it was like all right he he broke his back you know there's been a million times in one where that could have been me Uh, I kind of just went off the path and uh, do music full time, which kind of upset everybody because, you know. I was doing Greece, you know, doing Greece TW with Messin and TKO. So I think at that point, they, we, we shot our final episode, final episode <laughs> quotations. Um, that's where I wrestled Forsaken. Yeah, uh, we planned on not not doing it anymore for ETTW, and that was partially because I didn't really want to wrestle as much anymore because I didn't want to break something or you know end up like Pat. And um, yeah, any other questions you want? yeah man absolutely it's easier when you guide (laughs) yeah no i got you um and i was i was also focusing on because you know zoom is so fickle i didn't want to cut you off at any point yeah yeah um yeah i um it's hard for me because i was there the night that it happened yeah um so i was i remember being at the merch table he's in a battle royal 
he comes out, he goes up for the six thirty after doing like, you know, he's, he ducks a line, gives a line, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like does yeah. that gives a big move, goes up to the top. Kevin's filming everything on his camcorder too. Cause he, he was like the film guy for them at the time. And he went up for the six thirty, And when he came down, he just, he just yelled. And like, even then I didn't realize what exactly was going on or what. And I, and I thought, you know, we're, su- we're such wrestling heads. It's like, Oh, it's a spot. Like he's going to, he's, he's going to yeah. like, you know, get up and like do something else or whatever. And that, and um, so the battle Royal ended and they're like, they're now like paramedics, like attending to him and stuff like that. And Kevin just texted me from the side of the ring. And he said, he just goes, he's really hurt, dude. And we stopped where we were at the show and followed the ambulance to the hospital. But I'll never forget how much that night changed because it like, you know, we heard all these, the hazards, the hazards, the hazards, blah, 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 like all that. But it didn't feel real until something like that happened. If that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. You know, WWE always posts, do not try this at home. And we're just like, (laughs) we do this all the time. We've never been hurt. You know, why even post that? That just gives us incentive to do it more. And, you know, it actually happened to one of us in the group. Mm -hmm. And it really makes you stop and think. It's just like, shit, you know, that could have been me. Yeah. Um, a part of what also partially contributed to the fact that he broke his back. Um, he didn't know it at the time, but he had vitamin D deficiency, which made his bones weaker. That's why his back was shattered the way that it was. So because he wasn't getting regularly checked by a doctor, obviously he would have never known that. And even if the doctor said, hey, you probably shouldn't do this, he probably would have continued to do it. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it was a scary moment just to yeah. learn that he broke his back because it's like this is a guy who's worked his entire life to do exactly what he's doing mm-hmm. and then have it stop, stop right in your face like that. Like, yeah, that sucks. It, it definitely does. And it, you know, it, it uproots everything, everything that he had. It's such a big life change with it. Like, can you can you talk about when he you guys were living in like right around Trenton still at the time, right? So you're yeah. so he moves back in to Trenton with you. Can you uh, talk me through kind of what it was like, what it was like seeing him adjust to you know the wheelchair and everything like that? And so, um. Around that time, you know, everything was adjustment period. We had to change everything up for him. Um, you know, he couldn't use toilet, nothing like that. You know, he had to relearn how to go to the bathroom, essentially. Um, wheelchair, he wasn't bad in because we've always messed around in wheelchairs, funny enough. Um, we've, we've always been able to do wheelies and stuff in wheelchairs. It's not, it's not any secret that we've never, we've, never messed around in a wheelchair. So he was pretty, it was pretty much, he picked up really quick. Um, you know, at first, because he, you know, lost the ability to use his legs, he had to be a lot more cautious because, you know, he fell out of the wheelchair, you know, 
he can't just get back up and get back into the wheelchair. Sure, sure. But when he moved in, it was an, it was an adjustment process. His ex girlfriend was with him as well. Um, you know, I've never. He was in a very dark place, honestly. But at that point, he was doing good. He was still going to therapy, physical therapy. Um, he didn't want to take any medication for pain, nothing. And he was, he was very amped to walk again. And he said he was going to do it. But, um, you know, things like, things like his ex-girlfriend leaving um, really put a strain on him. Mm -hmm. He really got into a really, really dark spot. And um, he felt like he was being outcasted by everybody because he couldn't walk. And, you know, it's not that anybody was doing that. It's just we're all doing things that didn't, couldn't necessarily, um, couldn't necessarily have him around with unless he was just sitting there. Right, right. And uh, I guess that's a boo-boo on everybody else could have been more a little more selfless versus selfish around him but you know he was going through a rough period because he lost the ability to walk couldn't do what he loved wrestle his girlfriend left him because he couldn't walk like that's not cool and not not to say any wrong or right on her end, but could have been a little more delicately put. You know, and she was young too. Sure. It's, that just goes to say, you know, she was young. And unfortunately, that's not really what she wanted. She didn't right. want to have to take care of him for the rest of her life. Uh, but he eventually stopped going to therapy and I don't want to get really into the sticky, sticky details where, you know, would cast a bad shadow. Sure. Sure. So he, he went down a dark path and he almost killed, he almost killed himself due to just not take care, taking care of himself. Um, like he eventually got um, bed sores from sitting all the time. Uh, at one point, he just stopped. He stopped caring and uh, ended up giving himself MRSA. And my mom, if my mom didn't take him to the doctor, uh, to the hospital, when they got back from this like mini vacation they went on, he would have died from mm-hmm. MRSA in his blood. So he's been, he was fighting for a while just to get his health back. So, um, they ended up moving to Florida where around where I was for a while. And he was doing really good down there. Um, life was good. He was pursuing to be a, uh, a nurse, someone who takes blood and puts IVs in. I, I don't know what happened. Um, he ended up losing that lawsuit he had with um, the wrestling company. And he just, from there on, just went down up until the point where he overdosed 
and uh he actually he, he actually died um but when he was brought to the hospital they resuscitated him mm-hmm. but they have no clue on how long he was out for and as most people know uh, you can't really be without oxygen for more than seven minutes mm-hmm. your brain yeah um, we were told at first that he was um he was brain dead and the only option was to put him on hospice and let him go funny enough the patrick spirit was in him and he just started to communicate and let you know that he was hungry because in hospice unless you say that you're hungry they won't feed you they pretty right. much starve you to death but right. to keep you as comfortable as possible honestly i think euthanizing a human is a lot more humane than yeah that's, letting them that, starve to death. that's kind but, of bullshit I, I i feel that in a huge sense there but well that'll, that'll be saved for another conversation um he started to come through my mom had him treated and he's as good as he's gonna get um he can communicate uh he can text people voice texting which is a blessing mm-hmm. on iphone and galaxies and stuff yeah but um he can communicate and understand things um he's just not the same that he was yeah yeah i feel that and where is he now is he still down in florida or is he yeah, they're they're still down in Florida right now. Um, I've seen them a couple times since I've been up in New Jersey. Um, they're doing they're doing all right. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be it'd be a lot easier if they're around family. Sure, but we're working on that. <laughs> good, good. That that's always good to hear, though. Um, so, what would you say to the people after after going through all that and saying that there's still like people out there who like to be like you know, wrestling is fake or like these people aren't really athletes or like all those things like that. What would you just say is like a caution to those people as to what they may say in the future? You know, that's a hurtful statement for a lot of people. Those who really believe in wrestling itself, those who are fans, children who like wrestling um, and wrestlers themselves. You know, I don't want to sound cocky, egotistical or nothing, but wrestling scripted, of course it is. We get that. But everything that they do in the ring, every move, every acrobatic move that they do, is all athletics. Mm -hmm. And it is a sport because most people don't really don't really understand what ring conditioning is and i guarantee you if you threw a basketball player in a ring with a wrestler just to run a rope drill the basketball player would probably be on his knees throwing up yeah i've seen muscular guys come into training seminars bump once and quit yeah or the bumping in general man i remember smacking my head for the first time bumping some most miserable thing ever it rattles you. You start. You see stars, sometimes black spots. Just as a caution for people who truly believe that wrestling is fake and you can't convince them otherwise, just give it a try. Entertain the fact of wrestling. Go go to your local 
wrestling school, pay for one session, see how thick it really is to you. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's good advice right there. That's the best yeah. case scenario you could give somebody. Yeah. Do it yourself. See how fake it is. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you getting into that topic too. Cause I know that, you know, it can be touchy subjects with Pat and with that whole road and everything like that. But I think it's important that people realize the reality some situation can bring. And I have, long, I have some long-term issues from wrestling. When I sneeze now, um, my entire spine cracks and then I get shooting pains all the way to the tips of my fingers. I have, I, I have, um, I have an issue with my neck where I can't turn it as far as I used to. And that's due to muscle and just, you know, being DDT'd and taking bumps and stuff, you know, the consequences are real, man. Yeah, they are. I have a busted up shoulder and a busted up back because of wrestling. Like, and they'll never be the same as long yeah. as I go. I'm, I'm, I'm still on the other side of thirty, and they're giving me issues. Yeah, I'm turning twenty eight. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So before we go, I want to get into your music a little bit because I think <laughs> it's so important to highlight the work you've put into this over the years because it's truly, truly amazing. So. I feel like you've been in music for as long as I've known you, but what was your first introduction to it? Did you sing first? Did you play guitar? What brought you to it? Um, my mom was a singer when I was growing up. She played in bands. Um, so singing came naturally to me. I mean, I'm not the best singer. I'm no Justin Bieber or Ed Sheeran or something, but <laughs> I could sing. Um, but my mom and I used to sing in the car when I was like two or three. We used to sing to like, um, I believe, I believe I could fly by R. Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. That's R. Kelly? Yeah, yeah. I believe it is. We used to sing a lot in the car. And then my mom ended up dating this guy who played guitar. And he had all this music equipment. And I was like, yeah, I want to learn how to play guitar. I was like 10 or something like that. He tried to teach me how to play Sweet Home Alabama. I literally cried because I couldn't fret because it hurt so bad. Yeah. You, you don't, most people don't realize that the hardest part about playing a stringed instrument is gaining the calluses. Yep. So I didn't play guitar for like a couple of years after that. They, they bought me one for Christmas, but around the time I was 13, 14, I really started to dive in and get into bands. So I had a guitar and whatnot when I was in my teenage years. That's dope. So you started playing in bands and everything like that. Was there a certain band that you, we talked about how the soundtrack to your childhood was like wrestling based and things like that. But what was the one band you kind of look at and you were like, oh, they, I definitely drew the most inspiration for them in forming bands and writing music and anything like that. Um, know there was a band called ashes of an empire i was in and um at that point i was really into like uh hardcore music like of of mice and men attack attack asking alexandria yeah um and um that's that's probably where i drew a lot of my inspiration from um when i joined that band but i had a lot of breaking benjamin and um 
Three Days Grace-esque influences in those songs. Sure. A lot of those songs were never released because, you know, young bands don't usually stick together. Yeah. But if you, you fast forward to like Oakham style stuff, you'll hear a lot of influences from, you know, early um, wrestling video games and soundtracks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when did the newest band, so Oakham's the newest project you're involved in uh, band-wise. How did you guys form that? And what uh, what was kind of the goal for this band when you started, would you say? So when I was living in Florida, I um, had written a handful of songs um, acoustically. All, these, all those songs you've heard on that album, were done were written acoustically first besides a few songs that i did not write um when i moved back to new jersey i had a buddy named connor who was a a drummer and a bass player and he said he wanted to be in a band and with me to bring the these songs to life for the full band and at that point in time i wasn't very uh into the idea of being a band being in a band because I know how bands work. You put four guys in a room, you're hard, and it's really hard to get those four guys into the room to practice. But at this point in time, everything was lining up. So we found a few guys, and we took a lot of these songs that I've written acoustically and put them together. They'll tell you that Oakum is me. Um, Oakum is my project, but I've always told them, you know, I want their creative aspect on it you know it's not just my project if we're recording and writing these songs together um so we the goal was just to really practice those songs record it record them and put it out um and that's exactly what we did (laughs) and the end product is awesome dude it really really is it's thank you it, it reminds me of um kind of the style that the band AFI is going with now where it's this yeah. it's this very you you can feel kind of like the 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 punk and the different like elements that are within that but it's so clean everything's so very clean just like through, between the instruments the vocals it's pleasing to listen to all around it's really great thank you man i really appreciate that What's the one thing you've found over the years with forming a band or working with other artists or things like that, that isn't the easiest that people don't realize? Um, each person has their own idea of what it should sound like. Mm. Um, each person has a different recording process. Um, yeah, those are those are two tough two tough things to deal with because you see it you see it as something in your mind, but that person sees it a different way. And you're in a band, so you got to compromise. And sometimes comp- compromising can become a heated situation, and other times it's easy. But sure. th- those are those are usually the hardest things to do is just to collab with someone who sees it a different way. But as you get, as I got older, I could um, be more open-minded to other ideas. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that's a very, very interesting point that, you know, you have 
eight different ears in the room. Like someone's mm-hmm. going to, someone's going to hear it a different way than someone else for sure. Exactly. A different spin on it. Uh-huh. Wow. That's exactly and, what happens. So what is, what's the one thing that helps with compromising those situations too, and finding the common ground and like building the sounds and finding, you know, your rhythms and things like that. Um, usually it's a mediator, <laughs> someone who doesn't care what really it sounds like at the end, as long as it sounds good. Mm-hmm. And they're that person that sits there and says, listen, you guys need to calm down and just be open-minded to the idea. So sure. really what would happen is we would record or play the idea. And if it sounded good and worked well, we kept it. And that's pretty much how music works usually. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's a fair. I feel like you need a mediator or moderator in any type of situation that you're in, and that just makes everything go much smoother yeah. with it. But that's interesting to hear. Um, I just heard this story recently, and I th- I think it's well documented. But how Ed Sheeran, when Shape of You came out. He was like, don't fucking release this. Like, I don't like the way it sounds like this isn't going to work all day. And it turned out to be his biggest hit at that point, too, because like he just. That, that, that happened. Yeah. No, yeah. You, you'll listen to something and you're like, wow, this does not sound nearly as good as I thought it did. <laughs> uh, sometimes you got to. Trust someone else versus your your brain, because if you just focus on what you think it sounds like you're never going to release anything yeah that's very fair that's a good assessment of that to really put out there so how can for this album for your album bloom how can people check it out if they're looking for it so it's uh it's public everywhere we have it on itunes music um spotify Bandcamp, youtube just about any streaming site you could imagine, you can find it. If you have trouble finding it on those streaming sites, we have a Facebook. All you have to do is search Oakum, O-A-K-U-M, and we should come up. The picture should be a bunch of flowers, and you click that, and we'll have a, uh, I believe, a link tree, um, a link tree link that you can click, and it'll bring you to anything, any, anywhere it's streaming. We also have a Instagram where you can find it as well. Beautiful. And go check that out. If you're listening and haven't checked out this project, go listen to it. I guarantee you're going to find at least something you like on the album. It's it, there's really something for everybody and it's music. That's absolutely worth listening, listening to and supporting. And just the fact that it's um, like kind of your creation with it. I think it's a really good, like, capstone on everything you've done thus far with music so it's 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 really great yeah appreciate that man awesome dude and if people want to follow you more dylan where can we find you socials anything you want to plug while you're here um so i usually keep my facebook private because i get random random ettw fans saying they can kick my ass for some reason um (laughs) I guess that's just the price I get for being kind of YouTube famous. You're a superstar, um, dude. But I have my Instagram that I post. Mo- <laughs> yeah, I have my Instagram that I post ma- mainly to as long uh, along with my Twitter. 
And those are both X dumpster, X daddy, X. That, and that's, that's that's the handle. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's so, such a three X's and dumpster daddy. <laughs> couldn't ask for anything more. Really. Poetic, right? Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. You wouldn't expect an artist to have something <laughs> under any other name, really. Oh man! And you can follow us uh, as I know. That's yeah. that's just me. <laughs> you can follow us as always at um your at um your average ordinary or average ordinary pod we have on most um social medias. Like subscribe, support, and support the people we have on the show because they are really awesome people and they deserve that recognition. Um, Dylan, dude. Thank you for coming on today. I so appreciate your time, man. It was, it's yeah, been no problem. Really awesome catching up with you. It's great seeing you, Dan. It's yeah. been 10 years. <laughs> yes, it has. And we'll, and we'll have to make sure that it's not another 10. We'll, we'll, we'll talk in coming months and coming. Yeah, years, man. Things like that. Uh, I'll, I'll keep up to, up to date with you and we'll see if we can cross paths. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. You're always welcome in Buffalo and you guys have let me know I'm always welcome in New Jersey. So I appreciate that from all you guys down there. Yeah, no problem. That's that uh, Jersey hospitality. Sometimes we're hostile. Sometimes we're nice. Yeah, exactly. I've gotten the good end of it so far. Thank God. But we'll see. There's still time. All right. That's about all for our show. Until next week, we will see you guys next Saturday. Take care. Better call somebody! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the BICBP Radio Network proudly brings to you its podcast tag team champions of the world! The Nightmare Derek Jaws, Rotten Jack Gene Williams, the hosts of Common Debauchery! And if you're not down with that, we got two words for you.